Now that we've had a couple days to digest this Georgia loss, how did Brady Cook play on Saturday afternoon? Plus, Tiger basketball tips off tonight. What I'm looking for tonight against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Let's talk about all that and more right now on Locked on Mizzou. You are Locked on Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, all you true sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and the central scrutinizer of Missouri Tigers football and basketball. And these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. And I guess if you're a quarterback on a major college football team, or even high school for that matter, there should be in the terms and conditions apply. Hey, guess what? When you lose a football game, well, there's going to be a certain section of the fan base that is going to blame you no matter what. So predictably, as we're a couple days out here, people are now taking Brady Cook to task somewhat. And let's be real, that that interception that he threw, Missouri trailing 27-21 at the time, uh, to the nose tackle there, Stackhouse for Georgia with the interception. Just a terrible, inexplicable play by Brady Cook. I'm sure one that he's going to want back and, and maybe think about for a long time. Though, hopefully he can flush it out of his memory this week and get on to Tennessee as soon as possible. But I went back and actually watched all of Missouri's offensive snaps this morning, and I got to say, I actually really liked how Brady Cook played until that interception uh, to, to, again, the Georgia nose tackle on the screen play there. Let's actually just break down that play really quickly there. There was four down linemen for Georgia. A fifth guy comes in late on the blitz, maybe even a sixth guy too. Certainly a fifth guy comes in late and surprises Cook on a blitz and he feels some pressure there and frankly just panics and makes an inexplicable decision. One he's obviously going to want back. But the real problem there is that it's first down and 10. Cody Schrader has just picked up a huge gain up to midfield there for Georgia. There's really no reason for Cook to panic there whatsoever. In fact, you go back and look at that play. If Brady Cook is feeling pressure, well, he's got the perfect release valve. It's Makai Miller off to his right in the flat. He's wide open without a Georgia defender within 10 yards in the picture on the television there. So instead of dumping it off and and taking the easy yards there, which Cook often does, I don't think he ever looked over Miller's way to be fair to him. But instead, again, just a throw that Missouri just did not need at the time. And that's the way I felt about Cook's second interception as well. The third down and 10, Missouri, obviously in a little bit of desperation mode, now down two possessions. But on third and 10, you just didn't need to throw into double coverage there, in my opinion. Could have just thrown it out of bounds and lived to play for the fourth down. But again, honestly, the, the more I looked back on it, Despite the difference in third down and fourth down production between Carson Beck and Brady Cook, that is kind of where the game was won. I I still thought Brady Cook played a pretty darn good ball game 
for the most part. He was making stuff happen with his legs in particular in the first half, threw some really nice balls downfield. Of course, the the touchdown pass to Burden, there was a deep shoulder Back shoulder pass downfield to Weiss early in the ball game, and also even a pass that didn't show up in the stat book, but a really nice deep throw to Burden that drew a defense that drew a defensive pass interference call. So again, Cook and Burden don't get credit in the box score for that play, but you know I've often argued that there should be an accounting for that somewhere in the stat sheet. I'm not saying you should get the passing or receiving yardage, but on on that type of thing, defensive holding, defensive pass interference, those type of yards. Heck, back in the day, I remember when football outsiders tracked this kind of thing in the NFL. One of the leading receivers in the NFL, perhaps it was Antonio Brown at the time, had something like 250 yards in defensive pass interferences for the season. That's a heck of a difference and a heck of an impact it just in terms of football value. But again, overall, I, I just think Brady Cook played about the game that he's played all season. I thought he played, for the most part, a very good football game up until the that interception. Missouri started getting into scramble mode, desperation mode there at the end. Maybe you wanted a little bit more of a variety on the last couple drives there instead of so many back shoulder plays. I would have liked to have seen some more routes down the seams, down the middle of the field to attack Georgia when they were starting to be get a little bit more aggressive in their pressure at the end of the game there. But again, I, I just I think trying to put all put the whole game on the shoulders of Brady Cook, despite again a bad play there by him, no doubt in a crucial moment. I think putting it all on his shoulders is missing the point. And without Cook, without some good quarterback play there, up until that point, I don't know that Missouri is in that ball game. Now, on those third and fourth down numbers, Brady Cook, three of seven passing for 38 yards with one interception. That was at the end of the game there as Missouri was in a bit of desperation mode to catch up. Also, one run for a first down for Cook. Again, this is on third and fourth down alone. He also picked up a couple rushes for a first down on the opening drive alone. But Carson Beck, on the other hand, eight for 12 for 77 yards, two touchdowns. He also scrambled twice for two first downs. Again, on third and fourth down, these numbers here for Beck. So if anything, I probably didn't give Beck enough credit coming into this week in terms of his scrambling ability. Now, he isn't a scrambler per se, but if you drop back into man coverage, the void is opened there in the middle of the field. Evidently, he can tuck the ball and, and run better than I thought. He's certainly a better runner than, than JT Daniels was for, for Georgia back in the day. So I may have underestimated Carson Beck a little bit there, though ultimately I think he was kind of what we expected, which is if you give Carson Beck time to throw, he's going to look really, really good. If you get some pressure in his face, well, you've got a pretty good chance then. You know, that's that gives him a lot of, in common with a lot of, of talented college quarterbacks, including Brady Cook, to be honest. So that's not a slight to Carson Beck whatsoever, just my observations about him. And for those of you watching on YouTube, I finally changed the graphic. Yes, I have the right graphic for today's show. Teasing the rest of the program, now you can sleep soundly. For those of you on audio, you're probably going, what the hell is he talking about? Don't worry about it. 
don't worry about it. But again, for those of you on video, sorry for that mix up. But hey, let's talk a little bit more football here. You know, just such a small margin there. It really was. Again, I had on on my wrong graphic there. It wasn't a fluke. That's really, again, the takeaway as I rewatch the Georgia game. To start the second half, Missouri received the football. Big gain by Mookie Cooper up to the Georgia 18-yard line. Unfortunately, first down and 10, Missouri tries to hurry up to the line, run a play quickly, keep momentum going. A false start. Unfortunately, we saw that a lot in this ball game. Early snaps. That's something Missouri has just struggled with all season, in particular on the road in Athens, Georgia. Man, we have got to figure something out with the snaps. Maybe we should just. I, I complained a little bit about the clap rule, the disconcerting signals, that sort of thing. I'm a little bit tired of protecting the clap for all intents and purposes. Well, here's what I'm really tired of. I'm tired of Missouri doing the clap a little bit. If it's going to result in this many early snaps that Brady Cook is not ready for, I mean, this is a big, big deal. That that was in a huge moment this happened against LSU that ended up resulting in like a a fourth and and a mile and a half for Missouri in a crucial moment. This has got to be cleaned up one way or the other. If it means going back to Blue 32, Hut Hut Hike, I'm completely fine with that. You can't sit around and wait for the NCAA to change the rules or, or whatever you want to happen here, but something has got to be rethought, I think, with the snaps because, again, Missouri has to settle for a field goal here on this first drive. If they're able to go into the end zone, get a touchdown, obviously it would have been an easier conversion on third down for Cook and the Missouri offense, you never know. Go up 17-10 to 10, could have made all the difference in the world. Also, another thing that could have made all the difference in the world, a good job by the Missouri defense to hold Georgia to a field goal on its opening possession of the ball game. But when Georgia lined up on that fourth down and five, maybe it was fourth and four and a half, something like that, Missouri jumps off sides, gives Georgia the first down. Well, they completed the pass anyway, but I do believe. But the point is, the Tigers just weren't ready for that play, and it was a huge down. And honestly, Missouri just should have called timeout. Considering how much Eli Drinkwitz loves saving his timeouts, I I don't think we're going to talk about the end of the game, by the way, that particular moment, but just being a little bit flippant there. But seriously, there should have been a timeout called there, especially in the first half. You don't need to worry about saving your timeouts for the end of the game, the end of the half situation, as much as you do for the end of the game. So to me, that's maybe a spot where even though the Missouri defense did a good job of holding Georgia in the red zone to three points, they could have come away with zero. If you call time out there, maybe Georgia, now that they don't have you off guard, maybe they decide to punt the ball. Maybe you have a better defense and you stop them. Turnover on downs. The point is, give yourself a better shot next time and call time out. And as we sit here today, I got to think I'll be picking Missouri this week against Tennessee, though I have to admit, I don't love the spot for Mizzou against the Vols this week. week. So I want to explain why exactly that is here coming up in just a second. But first, I want to tell you that now it's time for your game changer 
of the week brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company. And much like Cody Schrader, Athletic Brewing Company has completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good. And I tell you, Schrader has been such a revelation this year, honestly. I think he's been even better than I think most Missouri fans expected. And to go for over 100 yards against Georgia... Yeah, it's a game changer for you, in my opinion. And of course, the biggest game changer of all, athletic brewing, which is fit for all time. So you can drink them anytime, anywhere, and make any activity even more enjoyable. So you can find Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com. Dot com. We're talking IPAs, Goldens, Sours, the whole deal. So first-time customers, use code LOCKEDON to get 15% off your first online order. That's code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. Near beer, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. As a longtime wagerer, observer, fan of college football, this is kind of a classic spot to fade Missouri, just from a, an objective perspective coming up this week against Tennessee, because Mizzou just came off, well, a tough loss to Georgia, a, a draining physically, mentally, emotionally, the whole thing. I mean, this team has got to be a little bit disappointed right now. Certainly on Sunday, they were probably disappointed Saturday night. Hey, by now they've probably got to flush it out of their system. If they're really going to come back against a game, a Tennessee ball club on Saturday and come out with a win, another two thirty, you know, big time window for there on CBS against Mizzou. So that's a tough spot because Tennessee coming off, well, a less than competitive game to say the least, something like 59 to 3 against UConn the last I checked. I don't know if that was the final, but yeah, basically Tennessee rolled over the UConn Huskies in, in a serious fashion. So obviously that's basically a, a half of a bye week almost for the Vols. They were able, their coaching staff was sort of like Missouri coming off a bye week against Georgia. They were able to get a bit of a jump on their preparation for the dogs, well, the volunteers can certainly do a little bit of that as well. Use some more of their capital against Missouri. So this is a tough spot for the Tigers. I think that actually explains somewhat why two teams that look pretty even on paper. Missouri actually over at FanDuel Sportsbook is a point and a half underdog right now at home. Though I got to say, I expect that this team has not lost its edge. I expect that they still are going to have that something to prove attitude. But again, just from an outsider's, if I were not a huge Missouri fan, if I weren't watching this team every single day from a reporting and opinion perspective, I might have a different opinion. I really might. I'm just telling you guys that. But I, I as of right now, I'm still going to pick the Tigers to win because I, I just think this team... Number one, it seems to be in a pretty good spot injury-wise for a November ball club, so that's really helpful. But number two, I just I just don't think they're going to give up at this point. I think even though technically a lot of their goals are, are gone now, I think still there's so much to play for for this team. If you're telling me a 10-2 and season is something not to be proud of, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. 
Now, coming up off a loss, obviously people generally like to throw some blame toward the quarterback and the head coach. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give Eli Drinkwitz some credit right now because this is actually a bigger picture thought and not totally specific to Georgia, though I thought Missouri's ability to play in the trenches and hold up rather well against the dogs really showed something to me. It showed that Eli Drinkwitz has a real ability to identify a weakness on his football team, in his program, and fix it. We've seen this time and time again, really, over the last two or three seasons or so. You saw Jethro Franklin, unfortunately for him, nothing against Coach Franklin, but apparently there was a weakness in the Missouri defense, the defensive line, and, well, Eli Drinkwitz took action, and Missouri, the back half of that season, was a much better defense. Once Steve Wilkes moved along, Eli Drinkwitz found Blake Baker, and the Missouri defense was even better in 2022 than it finished at the back end of 21. Also, this season... The offensive line, much improved with the new offensive line coach, the offensive coordinator as well, Kirby Moore for the first time under Drinkwitz, Missouri having a designated OC and play caller. That's obviously been a plus so far for Missouri and Eli Drinkwitz. So whatever Missouri has to do going forward, now here in year four of Drinkwitz, the one thing I've identified kind of from the beginning is even when times are tough, Eli Drinkwitz, his teams definitely play hard. Well, another thing I can see is that Drinkwitz has shown an ability, again, to identify a weakness and fix it, and also in particular for him to take away play calling from himself, essentially, and give it to somebody else. That showed a lot of of humility, a lot of self-awareness, and something that a lot of coaches, I think, would have too much of an ego to do. So good on Drinkwitz for that decision. And really, all of his all of his fixes so far have, have turned out pretty darn well for the most part. And you know what? One more football comment before we get to tonight's basketball a tip-off for Mizzou. Well over 140 comments right now on my my latest video on YouTube. A great, great example of the two Georgia fans I was talking about because one version of the Georgia fan base is going, hey man, great show. Missouri played great. You guys are really a good team. We were we had our our throats were up, but you know, we, we were we were choking at the edge of our seats the whole time, whatever the analogy is I'm going for here and, and completely failing. But basically the Georgia fans, a lot of them were giving Missouri a lot of respect after the game. And then there was the second group that was saying, Hey, why are you crying about the referees? And I'm just confused because I don't know how you could have actually listened to the show that I did yesterday and thought that I was crying about the officiating or blaming as some people said the officiating quite the opposite I was giving Georgia all the credit in the world definitely was not blaming Missouri blaming the officiating for the loss but frankly how could I not talk about the officiating a little bit there were some really bizarre moments both ways. Even, even Missouri had some calls that went in its way that were a little odd, too. But let's face it, folks, this is a Missouri-focused show. I'm going to focus on the calls that Missouri fans are talking about. But anyway, just wanted to cover that really quickly. And coming up on the show, I do want to talk about this basketball team tonight, including Noah Carter. Is he going to start 
Is he going to start taking some of Kobe Brown's responsibilities? Well, I have a lot of things that I'm going to be looking for tonight against Arkansas Pine Bluff. So I want to talk about all of the hoops you can get to. But first, let's talk about LinkedIn Jobs, where these days every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. So you want to be 100% sure that you have access to the best qualified candidates out there. That's why you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. They help you find the right people for your team faster and for free with simple tools like screening questions that make it easy for you to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. On paper, this Missouri basketball team looks fairly similar to last year's team in some ways, though obviously more depth in particular on the wing and more size in particular with the presence of Connor Vanover. And indeed, I'm interested to see how much Conover, Connor Vanover excuse me, plays tonight. I assume he'll be in the starting lineup. We'll see. We'll see how much he plays. Just going to be interested to see if he's seeming to get starters minutes or if he's maybe more of a bit player. I'm expecting... I'm expecting he'll be getting starters minutes, but just really curious to see what the big guy's role is. Also curious to see if Kobe Brown, if his role is replaced by mostly mostly by Noah Carter. I think he's the most likely guy to take on some of Kobe Brown's responsibilities as the sort of lead playmaker from the forward position. When it's not Sean East or Nick Honor off the bounce, Maybe it's Noah Carter making plays, driving to the rim, all that good stuff. Maybe knocking down a few more three-pointers this season. If if Dennis Gates can get Noah Carter up over 40% from downtown, I'm just going to think he's the three-point shooting wizard or something at this point. That would be pretty insane. But speaking of taking on Kobe's responsibilities, hey, how about his brother, Caleb Brown? You know, this is the second offseason that Dennis Gates has really talked up Caleb Brown, even more so seemingly this season. Is that optimism actually real this season? Well, we see Caleb Brown carve out a real role in this Missouri rotation. I'm also really curious to see how Trent Pierce does. Apparently, he put up a 20.10 rebound performance in the Jamaica inter-squad scrimmage game. Just a lot of good buzz around that young man's ability to score the basketball in particular. So Trent Pierce, a guy who's maybe a late bloomer a little bit in terms of height, grew up to about six foot ten here in the last couple years. Definitely interested to see what he can bring to the table tonight. Also, Aiden Shaw, speaking of talented, skinnier, lankier guys who can really jump out of the gym in Aiden Shaw's case, I've been sort of saying for years now, I re- not even years, since at least last season, let's put it that way, liked what I saw out of Aiden Shaw, think he's going to take a significant leap as a sophomore. I'd like to see myself be proven right tonight. Maybe Aiden Shaw has a breakout basketball game. We shall see. 
I'm also really curious to see which wings on this Missouri squad bubble to the top between Caleb Grill and Tamar Bates, John Tanjay, Kurt Lewis, of course, Trent Pierce as well. How do the, how does that whole rotation play out? And also, since Missouri probably going to be starting Nick Honor and Sean East, two lead ball handlers there, two point guards for all intents and purposes, who else can break down the defense off the dribble other than those two guys? Is that something Caleb Grill can do? Is Does Tamar Bates have more off the dribble than really what he was allowed to do the last couple seasons with the Indiana Hoosiers. And also, speaking of Sean East, what does his shot look like? Because if really, if he's going to truly be, for all intents and purposes, your two guard, if you will, well, East was really good at breaking guys down off the dribble last year. Really good ball handler. Very quick with the dribble. That floater can be a little bit inconsistent. When he's making it, it looks great. When it's off, maybe not so much. But really, the three-pointer, that's the shot that East has simply got to be better at. He just was not a college SEC-level three-point shooter last season. Hey, he won the three-point contest and the little Midnight Madness thing this year. I don't know if that means anything. All I know is he's working on his shot hard. If that looks like something that's a legitimate weapon in his arsenal, he suddenly becomes a different player and a much harder person to guard. So, again... And finally, obviously against Arkansas Pine Bluff here, just a, a really big point spread, 24 and a half, I believe, I last saw here. Let, let me look it up really quickly here over at FanDuel Sportsbook. Yes, Missouri 25 and a half now, 148 and a half is the total. You know what? I have to say 148 and a half, that's among the highest, if not the highest totals on the slate. I was going to say maybe bet the over for this game, but as I just quickly scan through all of these over-unders here, for tonight's ball games, it really does look like the Missouri Arkansas Pine Bluff, if not the highest, certainly among the highest in the country tonight. Ah, uh, Toledo and Detroit Mercy. We finally got a game that has a higher total. So again, I'm scrolling through tons and tons and tons of games here on opening night, and Missouri really stands out of the total. So my point here, a long way of getting to my point, which is that. I was going to tell you to bet the overs here early in the season. Eh, it seems like my friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook are on to the Tigers. I think KenPom.com has us projected as the 36th best offense in the country. I think that's probably a little low, honestly. I'd say Missouri will be in the top 15 by the end of this season. That's just my feeling on the whole thing. So apparently... FanDuel Sportsbook may be ahead of Ken Palm right now, but hey, hopefully you feel like you're ahead of the curve by listening to Locked on Mizzou. I can't wait to be at Mizzou Arena tonight, and on tomorrow's program, we'll definitely have all my thoughts about the ball game. Again, going to answer all those questions I just posed today, hopefully, and obviously we'll have a few more questions as well. So thanks for making this show your first listen every day, and I'll see you tomorrow right here on Locked on Mizzou.